Yeah. So it turns out when you walk a puppy twice a day for a cumulative, like 90 minutes of exercise and you're in the sun and you're hydrating well and sleeping well, it turns out that life feels pretty good. Really? You know? Yeah. Who would have thought? Wow. (laughs) Oh my God. Spectacular. And also Dixie and I went away for this weekend. We toured the Lewis and Clark caverns and then had an Airbnb. I saw that. And one, we went to bed on Friday night at like 10 and I slept for 16 hours straight. Oh my. I woke up at two in the afternoon the next day. Someone was a little tired. <laughs> yeah. I was, a, I was a little sleepy. <laughs> Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith. And for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum. And as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been and will always be an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friends. Hello. What are y'all drinking today? I hope you brought a nice... All beverage with you today. I got a great one. Uh, I cracked open an all-in American light lager from Finley Brewing Company. Our friend Tyler sent this to me while I was in the thick of turnaround. And I've already had one of these in full disclosure. So I know what it tastes like and I know it's delicious, but I've been saving it, this last one, to use for recording. Emily? Very nice. I am two-fisting it because it's one of those days I have a 32-ounce chai tea, because, you know, you can never have too much of that. Uh, But I do also have a large bottle of water, but I added fruit to it, so. (gasps) Well done. Has that nice little, you know. I'll count it. Hint of something, so there you go. I made myself a little cocktail um, I'm using Montucky Cold Snack Yum. from Bozeman, Montana, which mm. I haven't had in forever, but, mm. it, but it's just like classic, great lager. It's a perfect summer um, beer. And with it, I am mixing a gin from Rainier, which is funny because they make the equivalent of Montucky Cold Snack out here in Seattle. So, uh, so I did a yes. little mocktail with Cold Snack, Rainier Gin, crushed up Rainier cherries, and some lemon juice and some bitters. And it is Mwah, chef's kiss delicious and then i have the mm. end of the cold snack to hydrate afterwards so oh, there you go correct correct it really does feel like you hydrate on that beer doesn't it <laughs> it really does <laughs> i remember thinking that was ridiculous when i first started drinking but the more i do drink or don't drink yeah the more i'm like no that's water i'm drinking water <laughs> yeah oh, it's wonderful funny. i partly wanted to uh make sure i drink alcohol today because i want to talk about Oh boy. Revivals, baby. We're talking (laughs) revivals today. (laughs) 
Okay. Now, <laughs> while wow, the runway for that was so long, wow. I'm so sorry. That was a very long runway, but I think it was worth it. Um, in the spirit of Stephen wanting to talk about things outside of the uh, news cycle, as it were, now that we are like removed from the happenings at Asbury, and I don't even want to talk about Asbury specifically, but I think it's interesting as like a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about is revival even a viable concept? And I have other questions that I think are related that we may or may not get to wherever the spirit leads. So I'm just going to start there. Do we think revival is even viable? I'm going to... Let's set some terms. Yeah. Can we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Go for it. Yeah. Right. Because Asbury was a recent phenomenon. And on the scale of like North America has a history of like the great revival quote unquote right which was like nationwide as far as i remember the history just like itinerant preachers and and circuit riders and all that wait well that wasn't methodist was it no 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 (laughs) that's different that's different my friend you distanced yourself so fast from that All right. Well, I mean, there's been a couple, but like, I think what you're referring to is the Great Awakenings, but then there were like a number of like West Coast movements as well, like Azusa or the Circuit Riders. Okay. So even then I was like confusing my, my terms there. Great Awakening was what I was thinking of in the second one, the sequel, as it were. The God's Not Dead 2. Can we assume that revivals are a thing? What are the like the characteristic parts of them? Well, I think that's part of the problem for me, but I also want to hear oh Emily's thoughts because I hear her also wanting to define terms. Uh, well, so to answer your question, though, I would say yes, mm. but there's a there's a caveat, but I don't want to share that yet because I think that'll <laughs> I think that'll be part of the conversation. Sure, sure, you know sure. what I mean. So, but yes, I I do believe. I think I'm willing to say just as like a sociological phenomenon, like. Mm. I think that happens, right? Like an idea can sweep mm-hmm. an area or sweep a community very quickly. Like I feel maybe five years ago, America was doing this like minimalism revival of like every, like literally everyone mm-hmm. was kind of like caught up in that idea of being a minimalist and like subscribing to that lifestyle. Do you, do we think that counts as a revival? Just like, Ooh. An idea seems to catch on very quickly that at least has transformative power for, I almost want to say a majority of the people caught up in it, but recognizing majority could even mean 51%, you know, cause like, you know, I don't know if 49% of minimalist converts are no longer minimalists anymore. Right. But mm. I think that Mm. transformed a lot of people's lives half a decade ago. I don't know if I would call that a revival. I feel like revival does specifically invoke like a sense of like getting back to, like you're reviving Mm. an old idea or practice. Okay. And I guess in that sense, maybe minimalism could be considered like a reviving of stoicism or, you know, something like that. But I also feel like you're making a connection to Renaissance. That's what I was thinking. Oh, that's fun. Okay, I like that. Like a rebirth of ideas, like in a way mm-hmm. that they haven't been made before. Yeah. Like, I feel like the minimalists did kind of do that. 
because like you're like applying stoic ideas to like modern mm-hmm. problems and technology that haven't been thought of before. Whereas a revival is like, hey, let's get back to our roots, right? Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Is it's this idea of we need to spark something within us. You know, something is either dead or dying or differing, and we need to go back to what was good and wholesome and true. And what better to do that than with these good old practices and these songs and this time set aside for that, you know, to create that spark. Mm -hmm. Steven, I do like that you brought up the sociology of it all, too, uh, not just because I have a degree in it. But I think that it's really interesting the way that Asbury's admin, I guess, they were really specific about not using the word revival. Mm -hmm. Like they were calling it an outpouring or a gathering. And I think that is really interesting on like a historical perspective. Like the people in the Great Awakening didn't know they were in the Great Awakening until after the fact and we called it that. Or like similar to like the beginnings of war. Like you probably don't know you're in the start of a war until it's declared, but the war is declared usually later. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting, like thinking about it from a sociological phenomenon. But I also feel like that's not how it's... I think that's valid um, to study it that way. But I also think that that's not how it's sold in church. Mm. Like, I feel like when people talk about revival, at least in the circles that I grew up in, I feel like there was a huge emphasis on the revival traveling through the youth and like the youth bringing, which I don't know where this idea comes from, (laughs) because like you would almost think it would make more sense for old people to bring the revival. Like, well, back in my day, we used to do it like this. Let's bring it back. But like, does that make sense for youth to bring revival? Are you just talking like fresh blood or do you actually mean like you're trying to get back to the roots of something? I feel like there's confusion about revival. There's an energy that comes with youth inherently. I mean, like even in a church context, right? Like it, it tends to be the younger people who are into more like contemporary or rock music for the worship even. But like, the way that was billed to me when I was going to my mega church here in Montana was our model is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being like the young upstarts in Babylon who are like honoring the Lord and going against the king, but the king kind of likes them still until he doesn't and tries to throw them in a furnace. But it's like, yeah, look at the young people who are willing to stand, all these old people, you know, like. I don't know, are too settled or like set in their ways or something. Mm. That's the messaging I got, at least for like the youth angle of it all. I think it's the opportunity that the youth can bring to say, hey, we want this revival. Like we want this spark, but we want you to be the ones to do it because like we've had our turn. Mm. We're, We're trying to like pass the mantle on, so to speak. Yeah, I feel like that's all mm. the like positive messaging that I ever saw about it. Mm-hmm. Like like a sort of like air freshness. Yeah. Which is interesting because I feel like most people, like if like it's, you're mostly talking about to youths about revival and it's like their first experience of like an excitement for church. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It almost feels like sort of contradictory to me, but also I can appreciate a good paradox. So I don't know if that's a fair criticism. Mm, that That's valid. Yeah. Emily, I'm curious. We get the phrase pass the mantle from the story of Elijah training up Elisha. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do we know how old Elisha was when he like 
obtained the mantle uh, ish for biblical times fairly young what is that like 20s if we were yeah i would say like late 20s sure you know mid to late 20s you know you think of jeremiah jeremiah was one of the youngest prophets you know same mm-hmm. same idea mid to late 20s early 30s like our age <laughs> yeah cool well but now it feels like it's like hey you're a senior in high school next church leaders right here you know mm-hmm. like i think there's a ton of pressure on people like leaving youth group and entering college to be like when are you going to be a pastor when you're 20 because people are afraid that the church is dying do you think that that's the primary motivation for thinking about revival yep Oh, they want mm. youth and young people to get fired up, so excited, so ready that they're not thinking or putting their full intention on how can we do that and still keep the church alive ourselves instead of putting all the responsibility on someone else's shoulders. It's the idea of the yoke, right? Like mm. the oxen, it's not just one, it's two. And so when Jesus says, you know, I bear this weight with you, right? It's, I'm going to carry the yoke with you, not leaving it all on you. And I'm not taking it all on my shoulders either. So we have this idea that if we get the young people, people's youth involved, excited, um, Mm. eager, then they'll take care of it. And we can continue having church be merry and bright and wonderful and the future's in good hands. But then all that responsibility is neglected because now mm. it's, well, we got to get young people in the church. Why are we getting young people in church? We need a revival. We need a, we need to do something fresh. We need a new spark, go back to our roots, start clean and see where it takes us. And yet at the same time, people are letting their own ministry, letting their own ways of being involved die because they're concerned with someone else. I think that's a really profound statement. I feel like the the whole hype fest thing about like getting youth excited for church and all that, I feel like that's made sense to me for a long time. Like I feel like I've seen that so clearly. And I, I honestly think that can be a positive thing. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with no hyping people up to care about something old and cool and something that can be for the modern age. I think that's fine. But I've never thought about it that explicitly that like by telling kids, literal children, that they are the future of the church that it's putting a psychological burden on them of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I've never really like thought about it in those terms. And I think that's really interesting. It's almost like a low conscious burden. Oh, yeah. So I guess along those lines, what do you think is not viable about reli- er, <laughs> about revival? <laughs> a lot of Freudian slips here, Josh. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, really. Religion and revival. <laughs> I feel like one of the ones that I always thought about, even when I was like regularly attending church in these spaces where we were like literally praying for revival, like I feel like there's this desperation to be relieved. Like times are tough now, like church feels hard now, like God send us something fresh that church will be easier and better and et cetera. And I feel like even in those spaces and in those moments, I still would have this feeling of like, I know that this is not sustainable to feel this excitement for church forever. Like Mm -hmm. I noticed the mountains and the valleys, even like being in high school. Like I I know that I'm going to feel different and I think that's okay, but I like can see that this is not sustainable as a practice, so to speak. And I I think that that's one of the bigger criticisms of the concept personally. 
I would have to agree. And I think it would be nice, even refreshing, even to see revival, if it's possible, become something that can be utilized. And I don't want to phrase this. I don't want it to become this thing where it's like, oh, we need a spiritual juice up. Let's just do a revival. Like, I think Mm. I want it to be something that can be done with intention rather than like, oh, well, you know, we're getting close to E. We better do a revival. You know, I feel like it becomes obligatory rather than not. (laughs) So, yeah, like it can't be manufactured is what you're saying. It can't be manufactured. It has to be organic and fluid rather than. Mm forced upon i think that organicness is usually seen as a confirmation as well mm-hmm. for instance at asbury i feel like there was a lot of people talking about like this is not normal for here the administration did not orchestrate this like this is very student-led and it's just going and then of course you could criticize like the organicness becoming not organic at a certain point because of right like positive reinforcement and all that but i feel like the even in like historical movements I think that that kind of organicness is usually cited as evidence that God must have done this because we could not have done this. Hmm. Yeah. But but I also think that doesn't hold up because that's a very like deterministic, non-participatory view of God. Hmm. So me personally, I don't buy that argument. But I mean, I think you can view it that way. I think there's another way you can hear like the words of Jesus say like, the fields are ready for reaping, like get out there. Right. And that feels a lot more gentle. That feels a lot more like participatory in a way. It's like, yeah, the wheat just grew and I just need someone to harvest it. Right. Inviting. Yeah. Yeah, Inviting. Okay. But I feel like revival is always church centered. I think at the heart of the idea of revival is like the revival of the dying church. And it's almost never focused on the reaching of people who are not in the church and the Christian sphere. And maybe that's the problem. I think that that's the problem (laughs) with the concept. (laughs) Like, I think it's, yeah, I I think it's a little ass backwards. I also think another (laughs) ass backwards aspect of it is we feel like the church is dying. We're afraid of us dwindling. So we're going to expend a ton of energy to make this revival happen. Like Mm -hmm. we don't talk about like, sabbaticals instead or oh my god right wouldn't it Mm. i mean i was telling you guys before we started recording i like i went out of town this weekend and i accidentally slept for 16 hours and it was amazing and i feel revived (laughs) but i was out cold i was i was asleep i wasn't spending more energy to like get myself fired back up We don't talk about rest enough when it comes to revival. Revival implies, I feel like, Mm. expending more energy for the outcome rather than resting on it. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Like, Emily, I know your church has sabbatical built into your work schedule. Yeah. I mean, I have a day off and then I have a day of Sabbath. Those are two very different things Mm -hmm. in the Book of Discipline. And then every... Oh, how many quadrinium? I think it's every two or three quadrinium. Which is? It'd be either eight or 12 years. I would have to look back. I can take like a three-month sabbatical. Okay, cool. And that can be a time of like, I'm doing 
you know, spiritual formation. I'm doing, you know, today I'm doing something, you know, to like enhance my own spiritual well-being so I can better my congregation, my community and myself through my ministry. But even like the idea of having a day off and a day of Sabbath, that drives people nuts. Mm -hmm. People anticipate pastors to be available sleeping in their church like <laughs> at the ready whenever yeah um i remember god forbid you have boundaries oh yeah i remember when i was approved for my maternity leave and i had a gentleman <laughs> who's no longer on my spr but still attends my church who was like how can we possibly give pastor emily 10 weeks of vacation and i remember everyone in the community was cool like move. um yeah it's not vacation you know <laughs> But whatever, we're going to move past that. You know what I mean? Like the idea of rest is something that is earned mm. in the church. Rest is earned. If you work hard, you do God's work, you can rest. And they'll point to scripture. Well, you know, God created the earth in six days and only rested on the seventh. So you got to do the same. <laughs> Oof. It's true, though. Like the idea of being restored, being revived, I feel throughout the church has been a tool that's been manipulated to become a weapon. Oh, you want rest? Like you want time off? Have you put in the work? What fruits have you bared? You know, like what has been the product of your harvest? Because until you have worked, why do you need rest? And I don't think we get that concept of, no, we need rest. If you're wanting us to continue, we need that that rest. And I think revival should be and can be that very thing that says we mm. are going to be renewed and have this spark of energy to not be so concerned about a dying church, but rather welcoming and inviting people in to help restore the church and to see that this can be a life-giving space that we're not just blowing on you know, the few embers left in this dying flame. Mm -hmm. It's no, we're, we're still being fueled. The fire is still there. We're not dead yet. Don't worry. We're just, we're needing a break. And this can be a chance for us to do something new and invigorating at the same time. I do think that's a more viable concept. Personally, I, th I think that's very well worded. Thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. 
I don't know if I've ever had this thought before. And I think the only reason I have this thought is because uh, I've been watching the Hillsong documentary, upcoming bonus episode, if it's not out already. So I don't want to get too much into that. But I just had this thought about, I think I could reasonably hypothesize that the modern megachurch is a direct byproduct of that hype revival culture. And that oh, yeah. it has just figured out how to reproduce that every single Sunday. And because like, uh, I feel like even when I was like really into the idea of revival, I would notice the statistical problem of people just church hopping mm. to the church that was getting the revival hype. And that is not an addition of new Christians to the global tally. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like like there's like that classic problem of mega churches and like local longstanding congregations where they kind of do the same sheep stealing. And yeah. I personally think they're profiting off of the same psycho social yeah. mechanisms that have been embodied in those kind of Pentecostal revival spaces. Right. And they'll all profit off the inflated numbers they get. Like we blatantly did that at our old church at the mega church. It was like, Oh, these people used to go to faith down the street. Now they come here. We're going to count that as like increased attendance and like new membership and all that kind of stuff. And then they would leave three months later, but we would be able to look back on that year and be like, wow, we grew by this much. Yeah. But we don't measure retention Mm. rates. We measure conversions. Yes. Correct. Mm. Correct. Uh, Cumulative as well. It's not, we're measuring disciples. We're measuring emotionally led conversion experiences. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the tricky thing with revivals is like, I want to leave room for the positivity of the emotional high that can come with those. But also if you build an entire model off of that, it's like, like I really keep thinking about the parable of the seeds and the sower of like what we're incentivizing is like, chucking the seed on soil that'll make it grow real fast, but the roots don't get real deep. And then when things get rough, Mm. everyone just Mm. withers away. And whether that be just people who are having a hard time in life and now they feel guilt, they're literally guilted from the pulpit for not being there every week or their volunteers or underpaid staff who are rapidly burnt out because they're the ones who have to like continually throw fuel on the fire that needs to continually grow hotter and hotter to survive. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can fill a jet for a transatlantic flight from Dallas to London. You could also light that jet on fire with the same amount of fuel and it'll go up in about 30 seconds. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. what, what's the goal mm-hmm. here? Cause it doesn't feel like we're going for sustainability. It feels like we're going for big flashy. We want the fireworks. We don't want the slow burning candle, you know? And I think yeah. the one-to-one for that is like, that's why we measure conversions and not, lifetime discipleship in a church Mm -hmm. because a it's harder to measure and also b that's the thing we're all apparently called to be doing is making disciples not just tallying up a number so that you can inspire people to tithe more what what yeah go figure i'm kidding (laughs) oh no 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 steven don't you see there are no financial incentives tied to getting young people to become dedicated Christians before their boomer years. Again, None. None. No, not at um, all. Okay. I'm going to ask a two-parter question next because I feel like it. both of these go together really well for like where we're at in the conversation. So I feel like we've been talking about kind of dovetailing off of Stephen's point about emotions and also kind of talking about the unsustainability part in terms of like putting all this pressure on like hype in the moment 
and that not being a sustainable practice, like even from like a Sabbath standpoint, if you want to go Emily's route. Okay. So my two questions here are, if not revival, what is next for the church? Like if revival is not the future of the church, like revivalists say it is, then what's the alternative? And how do you protect yourself from spiritual emotional whiplash? Because I guess for me, these two questions are like pretty intertwined because like, I think that on a psychological level, and I'm, I'm not bashing this, I think that revival is inherently an emotional byproduct and environment. Hmm. Like it is inherently a feeling. It is a spiritual feeling, an emotional feeling. And I think that when not treated well, it can unintentionally cause this weird mountain valley whiplash. And going back to our earlier points about like revival kind of more or less across the board being seen as this is the future of the church and like this is how we get the church to sustain and like get more people interested. Like how do we bridge the gap better between like that whiplash and like the actual future of the church if it's going to keep existing? Hmm. Hmm. I think what's next, if not revival, is survival of the fittest. And by survival of the fittest, I mean what Jesus talks about when he envisions the seed in the parable that hits the good soil and is nurtured, grows slowly, grows the roots down deep. Like I think to use another verse, like those churches will be known by their fruits. Like I, for all the problems that are in every single system, I think there's a reason the Catholic church has made it this long. I think there's a reason the Eastern Orthodox church has made it this long. I also think there's a reason that the modern American evangelical church is in its death throes only about a hundred years after it was born Mm. because it's a weed in Christianity. It's not a good crop. It's the chaff of the wheat. So if not revival, I think it's just natural selection and they'll die out eventually. Uh, how do you protect yourself from, well, first of all, I guess that's a really hot take. How do you guys feel about that? (laughs) See, now I was thinking, if not revival, then we'll just use Stephen's word and do renaissance. What does that look like, do you think? I think it would be, you know, let's go back to circuit riders 2.0. Let's like, let's do a home church rather than institutionalized building church. You know, let's let's do home fellowship and the pastor is invited into the home rather than everyone else having to come to the pastor and seeing where that goes and having the pastor leave and go to other places and see what happens when the pastor's gone, see what happens to church <laughs> when they're yeah. not there all the time to do all the work, see what people are capable of doing. And then two months down the road, pastor returns and oh, look what we've been able to do without you. You can celebrate with us and mm you know, do your job and then go to the next church or whatever that looks like. So kind of like a re-innovation on micro community Mm -hmm. is what you're envisioning? Yeah. Slash parable of the talents. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not. I I liked it. I did. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. Thank you. No, thank you. No, I think that's a very apt attitude, honestly. And I I think that people have been talking about that for an increasing amount of years. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, especially if you like look at some of the early aughts, like intentional communities, like people, I think people are definitely willing to experiment. Like those people who want to see the church continue as a positive force of religion and keep the wheat, burn the chaff kind of mentality. Yeah. I think that that seems to me a more viable way forward than that, like 
hot burn and quick blowout of revival that is usually characterized. Mm-hmm. Along with what you were saying earlier about rest, I think that is a huge antidote in our current culture. I was just listening to an episode um, from Life Kit on NPR, and they were interviewing, I wish I could remember her name, but she's the founder of the NAP Ministry. She's big on Twitter and Instagram, so go look her up, the NAP Ministry. She has a ministry degree, um, but she also has a degree in public health. And so she's like trying to approach it from you know a religious angle for those who want the religious angle, um, but also a public health angle of like, we don't have enough rest in our culture right now, and you need to take yeah. that seriously. And I think that can be a very empowering message from the church. And I don't think it's, I, I don't think the majority view it that way right mm. now, mm. especially in the churches that love to um, overuse their unpaid workers. Mm, true that. And I think to answer your second question, having firm boundaries and giving permission to say, I don't have to do it all. Because I think oftentimes, too, we find that it's those in leadership. It may not always be that they want to do everything. Like there are church leaders and pastors, you know, those who have authority that want to do it all because they're, you know, the head honcho. They're the front man of the show, whatever. But there are some who they feel they have no choice because then otherwise their church is dead. Because no one else will step up, no one else feels equipped, no one else feels prepared, or they don't believe that they can do it. And so the pastor or whoever's in church leadership is like, well, I don't want to be you know, the only one <laughs> doing all this, but if it means the ship doesn't sink, then so be it. And so I think it's creating a sense of boundary to say, hey, nope, you know what? I need to set a boundary to say, I will not do this for everyone. And if push comes to shove, the church ends up dying because no one else stepped up. It's not my fault. You know, it's being able to say, I have done what I can. I cannot do everything. And maybe the idea of a pastor being itinerant, like truly itinerant, saying, hey, I'm only here for six months. This is what I can accomplish. These are what my talents and my gifts are. I can't do anything else more outside of that. and not be manipulated in the itinerant system. So if you want to see this grow, give me rest. (laughs) You can take up the mantle. You can use your gifts and your talents that you know you have, or maybe you're ashamed of, whatever it may be, but you can see where it goes. And having just firm boundaries in ministry is, I think, one of the ways to avoid or lessen the emotional whiplash that can occur. It's striking me that revivalism seems to be a uniquely Protestant thing. Yes, 100%. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is. Like, I suppose you could call the Reformation a revival, but I feel like that's really ad hoc. Like, nobody was saying that no. at the time. Mm-mm. And I think that the future of the church in this present moment, uh, I think it's going to be different, partly because of technology. And access mm. to information. Um, like, and I feel like that's like what a cornerstone of this project has been. Like, All of us, I think, have experienced some form of, at the very least, increased education because of the internet in regards to our theology and our, our practice and the way we want to participate yeah. in the traditions we were raised in or not. And 
I don't know. This is like so broadly ambiguously predictive that I can't be wrong. But I think that it's not going to be quite as simple as, oh, what if deconstruction was the revival we were praying for? Like, Mm. I think that's an interesting idea. But I think that the implications of what's next for church are going to be far bigger than we ever could have imagined. I think that we will begin to see a fundamental shift. And I don't know how to predict that. Like, I don't I feel like I don't know what it's going to be. But I think that there are so many of people, especially in the US, I don't know if I can speak too much outside of that, but I feel like there are so many people that are fed up with parts of church that do not work, that do not work for them anymore. Like they feel like they need that revival rest that you're talking about, Emily. Like they, mm. they're burnt out or they're feeling the whiplash or they feel like they tried revival seven or eight times and nothing happened for them. And... I feel like the the byproduct of that is going to lead to like creative fundamental shifts in religious community that probably won't even be predictable. Like I think one of those is like digital community. Like could you have predicted mm. that 10 years ago? No. 15 years no ago? No way. Like, no way. That's crazy. Like the the level of like what I feel like is good healthy community that we have in our Patreon Discord. Shout out to you guys for supporting us by the way. I feel like it's awesome and not like in a like a toxic positivity way in like a genuinely supportive i'm here for you but also i'm not like overstepping my boundaries way like i feel like there's like there there's we've seen weird forms of community happen in churches and like there are like inherent boundaries to digital community that like kind of protect against some of those things inherently like you cannot physically abuse someone over the internet you could maybe mentally harass them but you can block people <laughs> like those, mm-hmm. those are things you can't do in real life. And I, I think that we will continue to see like more innovative, creative ways of people who either want to somehow like see the system go through a renaissance or some sort of reviving, or we'll see people transform it into something completely different that is not even recognizable from the place that they started when they were raised in Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, so ambiguous of an answer that I am going to be correct. <laughs> um, but I, I really think that that's like how it's going to go. Like, I, I think sometimes that's going to look like house churches. Maybe sometimes it's going to look like digital community. And I do think that there's still always going to be people who like Sarah Billups, whose book I just read, Orphan Believers. I think oh, there's yeah. always going to be people like her who like want to stick it out in church and want to see church changed for the better. But I think there's going to continually be, and we're seeing this in the data, there's always going to be more and more people leaving the church. Like they don't have the energy or the the bandwidth to like continue to be in those spaces for their own good. Kind of like you, what you were saying, Emily, like they can't take it all on their shoulders. I did that. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's where I'm coming from. I think that because Emily, I really appreciated your answer for like, how we address the emotional whiplash. Your answer is very like clergy, maybe leadership focused because that's your frame. Mm-hmm. I think for a lay person or, and just any person, any human, I think this is going to sound really qu- quippy and I apologize for that, but I think we should just relax and not think about the, f- like the far future of the church that much. Like Josh, to your point, like could we have predicted our discord being this life giving to us two years ago? No, I don't no. think the people in the eighties could not have predicted the internet, right? Like we're advancing technologically. 
as a species, as a civilization across the globe so quickly that I just feel like it does us so much harm to get wrapped up in even what five years is going to look like. So the quippy version of it is get your head out of the future so much. Return to the present. Be here now. Here we go with all the mindfulness meditation. Like, I don't know. If you really have as much confidence as some people do in what the church represents in the long run, I think it's going to take care of itself. But also this is coming from a person who at this point, I don't really care what happens to it. No. So take that with a grain of salt. Even though you've left, is that the only reason why you don't care what happens to it? (sighs) I feel like we could unpack that for a whole episode. You don't have to answer that right now. Yeah. 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 I think for what corners of right, the American church, you know, I would be heartbroken for both Emily and her community if the Methodists just, we all forgot Methodism existed because I think they're one of the few life-giving ones. Yeah. But I mean, all the loud, obnoxious ones, like, I don't know. Again, I'm thinking about all the traditional, like, I don't hear Catholics talk about revival. Again, it's a very Protestant thing to worry about, I feel like. And I think we should take it seriously when like, what do you want revived exactly? Right? Like, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Revival on its face sounds good until you say it's happening within the Southern Baptist convention, at which point is like, yep. Do you really want to revive a denomination that is, that exists solely because they wanted to keep the institution of slavery around? Probably not. Yep. So like, be careful what you revive. Maybe the church should have a big DNR on its chest do not resuscitate that's funny i do think it is an admirable question at the heart of many people's perspective when it comes to either the revival of the church or people questioning their beliefs and like pondering whether or not they're going to stay in the church and i think that that central question that is in common is how did we get here and where do we go from here and I think that that is a, as Sarah Billups was talking about that in her book. And I think it's a really poignant, profound, like centralizing question because, like, that's never not going to be relevant. And I think that that's worth talking about, like, whether or not someone's going to stay in the church, like Emily, or whether it's someone like Stephen, who's firmly not, <laughs> or myself, mm. who's like, I don't know if I will or not. Maybe I think that that question is just as relevant for all three of us in the, how do we trace how we got here and whether or not we like it? Like, where do we go? Because there's never like a stopping point. And I think that that is a valiant perspective. And like, that's part of what I can appreciate about the whole revival concept. Even if I think parts of it are not viable is that like, I think that that is a question worth pursuing constantly. How did I get here and where am I going? Any final thoughts as we wrap up? Before we de-revive this episode, that's not a word. (laughs) (laughs) Also, what would that mean? Are you trying to, are you trying to kill something, Josh? Yes. The episode. You're trying to kill the episode? (laughs) Really? You can't. It'll live on forever. Um, (laughs) No, you know, the idea of revival is beautiful. If you think about like what the word means, like to revive. So... The idea of something dying or not being life-giving, you know, is that what we mean by reviving? Because if that's the case, then if there's something that's not life-giving and we're trying to bring it back, we want that to continue? Really? I don't think so. 
So I think the idea of revival being a renaissance is more like more appealing to me. It's, hey, we want to revive the good things, you know, the not just the good old tradition, but the tradition that's actually life giving, Um, because why revive something that is toxic? It just doesn't make sense. Hmm. So allowing space to breathe, taking time to rest and to discern can be an opportunity of, hey, maybe the thing that we're reviving doesn't actually need to be revived. It's actually just needing to be started anew, like not brought back, just starting something else, starting something new and having that be the thing that we continue Hmm. is my hope for the future. I think if you want a robust view of revival, then even against my own gut intuitions at the beginning of this, I don't think revival should be tied to positive or negative experiences necessarily because, man, I'm really thinking about this metaphor of like the DNR, right? And like Emily was saying, like, do you really want to revive something that's making you sick? Like if the church is a patient with cancer, it could be considered a revival when a surgeon is able to remove the tumor with clean margins and declare full remission. But also that patient, you know, might be stuck in a place where the cancer is so intertwined with their own cells that to continue living is to continue living with cancer. And that's why people do sign DNRs. It's like to revive me is to keep the cancer alive too. And, Mm. uh, you know, when it comes to the church, if we want to take that metaphor all the way to like an institutional level, like consider if you want the heart beating to keep the cancer alive at the same time. But also, like, isn't that just, like, the idea of resurrection in Christianity, too? Like, you gotta let things die sometimes, right? Boom. 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 Boom sauce, as the kids say. Is that what the kids say? Well, Emily, as we reflect on the life and death and reviving of the church, or not, how would you like to create some hype on the way out for Jesus? You guys, the the drinks got to me. I don't know if you could tell when they got to me, but they got to me. I need a hold on. Give me one. Give me one second. <laughs> that was wow. Um, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. I will give you much more than a second, Emily. Wow. Thank you, Josh. That's so kind of you. Um, you know the idea of revival can be or maybe shouldn't be a thing to look towards the future. But in this moment, what we can do is take the time to simply be and to experience all that's around us. Don't worry about feeding the fire. If it's still there, maybe it's meant to go out. Maybe it's not. But the fact that the fire is still present matters. So don't be so concerned with the future that you forget that you're living in the present. It's a gift. That's why it's called the present. Mm